Good morning, everyone. I'm going to try to get through this uh, without shedding any tears, but I can't guarantee um, anything. I'm Sandra S., and I'm a grateful member um, of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. My serenity date is 17 August 2009. Duncan AFG is my home group. We're located in Oklahoma, and we meet on Monday and Wednesday nights, uh, 7 p.m., I have uh, a second group, and later on you'll find out why, um, and I call that my um, home group as well. It's in uh, the town that I live in, in Elgin, Oklahoma, and we meet on um, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. So if you're ever in the area of uh, southwestern, southwest Oklahoma, um, give us a buzz, and we would love to kind of introduce you to uh, what Oklahoma has to offer and the uh, fellowship. I want to start off by thanking the committee. Um, Wow, what an amazing job. What an amazing conference. Thank you so much. From the speakers to the helpers to just every single person who played a role in this, I mean, it's it's been really phenomenal. It's just been a joy. feels like a uh, family reunion uh, because, as Leanne mentioned, um, we lived here for about four years, um, and it's been almost five years that we moved away, but um, Bowling Green, Kentucky, just it, it has, you know, it's just got a special place in my heart, and you can still tell by my accent, and I say y'all and all that, so, <laughs> and bless your heart. <laughs> so, my husband, Terry, he was, uh, you had the uh, honor and privilege of listening to him, and, you know, he shared, he said that um, I told him, I said, you know, maybe threatened him, I said, you know, don't share my story because, and I said that because, um, what was it? I think earlier this year I was supposed to speak and he was supposed to introduce me. And uh, my sponsor and my grand sponsor were running a little behind. And so he was trying to kill time introducing me. But as he was killing time, he was kind of saying some of my, you know, my jokes and some of the things I say. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, great, now I have nothing to say. Like, <laughs> so, but. Sweetie, what I did mean is to hardly mention me. I mean, I think I, I was mentioned like once, and no, I am not the hooker. <laughs> In my story, I like to use a lot of humor. I think for me, it's um, it soothes my soul, and and just I just find things. I find that humor is just you know a good. Um, it's good for me because if it's not humor, it's anger. So. And you'll see that later in my story. Um, he also mentioned that, um, and he really didn't touch a whole lot on it, but, you know, um, he was ordained uh, to be the pastor of the church that we go to uh, last week, the, eight, the 18th of September. And so I'm really, really proud of him. You know, and I think that that's all due to the program of AA. And I want to share that my story does have AA in it because that's how I found these rooms is through, the, through AA. Um, I also want to mention that my husband is not my sponsor. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I do have a sponsor, and I brought her with me, and I have my grand sponsor. She tagged along, and then my sponsor from Kentucky, and they're supposed to keep me right. Because one of my character defects is I like to embellish things. I don't really like to call them lies. They just, <laughs> they sound just a little more interesting when I add just flavor to them. <laughs> that was one of the things that Leanne and I, we really had to work on. Um, you know, because I would just lie, like, you know, just for no reason. 
you know. I'm the supervisor, and um, I would be running a little late, and I, would, I felt the need to tell everyone why I was late, and, oh, I ran over, you know, a cow this morning, and I'm, you know, and I just keep, keep, keep adding to it. And Leanne's like, you know, why do you have to lie so much, you know? What? And I'm like, it just sounds interesting, and I'm not hurting anybody. Like, I didn't hurt the cow, you know, because there was really no cow crossing the street or anything like that, but... So yesterday, I'm surprised Edie didn't share, we were at Rafferty's, and we were having lunch, and um, the waitress, she was a cute little thing, and she was like, how do you all know each other? What are you all here for? And I'm like, oh, because my sponsor, my sponsor from Kentucky, my grand sponsor there, and I'm like, oh, gosh. And, you know, in my mind, I started creating this, this story that I was going to tell, and finally, someone spoke up and said, oh, we're here for a spiritual conference, and I'm like, phew. I was like, thank you. Um, you know, I really, you know, with Terry and his new job, I really think it's funny because I get to go around and, you know, church people aren't as, they're not as cool as y'all. Let's just put it that way. Because uh, ever since he took over the job, he took over back in June, but I go around telling people, I'm sleeping with the pastor. <laughs> they don't think it's really funny. I think they're jealous. <laughs> so I'm here to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I'm going to start off with my childhood because that plays a, that plays a big role in, in who I am today. And so I'm originally from um, Florida. I'm not from Oklahoma. That's where my husband's from, South Florida, Lake Okeechobee. I know that I do. There is a Floridian here somewhere around here. We spoke yesterday. Oh. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I'm one of nine children, and my uh, father is a Mexican immigrant, and my mother is Mexican, but she was born and raised in Texas. And so uh, they meet and have nine of us. Well, my mom had nine of us. Um, I come from a blended family. My mom had three older children prior to me, and my father had three or four or five, six other children prior to me. But when they kind of came together, it was just my mom bringing her kids. So I know my siblings from my father's side, but I never lived with them or anything like that. Um, I did. Uh, my mom, like I said, brought the uh, her three daughters to live with us, and so we were a blended family. And um, you know, I want to say I have some good memories of my childhood, but I really I don't recall a lot of them. You know, there was. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of violence, um, physical, mental, emotional abuse. Um, that's kind of what I remember, you know. I think I remember one year. It was my birthday, and I got a milkshake from Dairy Queen, and I thought that was like a big thing, you know, because we just really, we were poor, you know. We didn't do things like that. We didn't go out and eat, you know. Um, I don't really, now that I look back, I don't really think we were poor. I think my family, my father primarily, just liked to abuse the system and make us look really poor so that we could get government assistance. And today I take pride in myself and, you know, I'm not, you know, if you have to use government assistance, I, I think that that's completely fine and that's what it's there for. But if you don't, and, you know, the way my family didn't have to um, and taken advantage of it, I take pride that I, that, you know, that was a cycle that I broke starting with me. But anyways, um, I just remember being just really fearful. I remember that um, 
my mom. You know, she was this, um, she was just not who I thought I wanted her to be. She just wasn't, I didn't feel like she was the mom that was supposed to protect us. She allowed my father to uh, abuse her, to beat her, and beat us. And so I really just um, grew up very angry with my mom. I knew that I never wanted to be like her. Um, I always told myself that I would never let a man um, lay a hand on me because I was just never going to allow that type of abuse. And um, I remember that, you know, um, my older siblings, uh, whenever my parents would break out into a fight, you know, they would try to, like, break it up. And I would see that they would just get beat as well. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'll sit in the sideline and watch, but I'm not going to intervene or anything like that. So I was just really fearful. Um, I remember that with my father, I always tried to side with him because I knew that if I sided with him, that um, my beatings would be less. You know, I wouldn't get picked on um, as much as if I went against the grain. So anytime, you know, he would go out drinking, and I, you know, my father is an alcoholic. Um, he probably wouldn't claim to be, but from what I know now, there was, you know, alcohol involved when there were, most of the times when there were beatings or fighting or anything like that. And so I remember that he would, um, he would go to the bar to drink, um, and it, this was just like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing. I don't really remember this going on during the week, so a functional alcoholic, if you may call him that. And I remember that my mom, you know, she would uh, try to put us to bed and just be like, okay, just, just stay in your room and just be quiet. You know, whatever you hear, just don't come out. Just act like you're asleep. Pretend to be asleep. And so, you know, my father would come in at, you know, whatever hour in the morning. And I remember my mom, prior to putting us to bed, she would start cooking, going to the kitchen and cooking a full meal. You know, my father was not a man that ate a ham sandwich. I mean, like, that would, oh, gosh. You know, he would never, you know, it was a meat, potato, fresh tortilla kind of guy. And so I just remember that my mom would be, you know, always in the kitchen and trying to prepare a meal. And, and I was thinking the other day, not too long ago, I don't know who I was talking to, I was talking to somebody, and he's from Italian parents, and I said, I never remember my mom sitting at the table with us, ever. She was always tending to my father while we would be sitting eating. Like, she, she wasn't allowed to. And so I remember that she, um, he would get home, and she would have the meal prepared, and something, you know, I... I don't really know if something was said. I doubt it because my mom wasn't one to, to want to, you know, cause any conflict or anything like that. I think it was just, you know, him and his alcoholism. He would rage, and so he would start beating her. And, you know, I would hear my mom cry, you know, maybe ask him to stop a little. And just when she asked, you know, it would just get worse and worse and worse. And so I remember specifically one day, and I don't know if I was like 9 or 10 years old, and... I got on my knees, and so we never went to church. Well, I take that back. We would go to church, like, during the month of December so that we could put our name on a, in a piece of paper and hang it up on a tree so that we could collect gifts at the end of the year. Um, but So other than that, we never went to church because, you know, they're hypocrites is what my father would say, and they don't need to be in our business and whatnot. And so 
I remember, you know, hearing a little bit about this God. And so I remember one day my father was beating my mother, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, please make him stop. And he didn't stop. The fighting continued. And so then I said, God, please make him have a heart attack. Like, you know, just, just I hope he dies. And he didn't. And so from that moment on, I think that that was one of the first instances that I told myself, there is no God. You know, and if there is, he's not there for you, Sandra. You are not worthy of his love or protection. I mentioned I'm one of nine, and so I'm like the fourth in line. And um, the beatings and abuse and just the, just all us children lived in fear. And I want to say that, you know, I was the goody-goody one. I was the favorite one. Um, I was the one that, uh, I was my daddy's little spy. Um, I was against my mother. And so when, the fi- when there was fighting, um, my father would line us up. And this was like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. He'd line us up and he'd be like, your mother and I are going to split up. Right now you have to decide who, which parent you're going to stay with, who you're going to go with. And he would... I w- he would start with me because he really didn't care about the other three. He was like, they're yours. You can take those. But my kids, you'll not take, you won't take. And so he would start with me. And I, n- I remember like, knowing in my heart that I didn't want to be with him. I didn't want to go with him. But I would be like, I'm coming with you, Daddy. I'm not staying here. But I only did it because I was so, so afraid of him. You know, and I think that that... My relationship with my mother, because I would always side with my father, I think that that just kind of strained our relationship. And from that age till, you know, till I started, uh, you know, I started the program, um, you know, it was, it was a fractured relationship with my mother. You know, I remember my father, you know, would call my mother a whore. You know, he would say all these terrible things. And I would sit, stand behind him and just shake my head like, you're right, Daddy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I only did it because I was afraid. I'm a kid. I don't know any better. So I have a couple of siblings. So there was about three siblings that um, before they turned 18, they ran away because it was that bad. Uh, My brother, who's a year younger, he ran away at the age of 15. And then I think my two other sisters, I think it was like 16, 15 and 16 as well. And I remember what was said about them. I remember that my father was like those ungrateful children. They'll never come, you know, they're never welcome. They're not welcome back here, you know, look, you know, look what they've caused, look what they're doing. They just, you know, they don't want to follow the rules. And so I didn't want to be a rule breaker. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm the good girl. So I stayed. Uh, At the age of 14, um, my father began to sexually abuse me. And I really didn't know how to, I didn't know how to make sense of that. I knew it was wrong, and I didn't want it to happen. But, you know, then he would ask me for forgiveness right after. He'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. You, do you forgive me? And I would say, yes, Daddy, I forgive you. And so for 18 years, I lived with that secret. I didn't tell anybody but a person. And I'll tell you later on who that person was, and I'll tell you why. But you would think that that would, you know, that I would just leave. I would run away because that had happened. But I was just so fearful that I didn't. I stayed. At 15, I met my qualifier, my ex-husband, and he was seven years older than I was. 
And I, was, I just thought, well, he's my knight in shining armor. He's going to rescue me. He's going to take me away and make everything better. And mind you, I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend. So we weren't allowed to have friends. We weren't allowed to date. Like, people at school talked about us. They thought we were weird. And I always tried to, like, you know, make it seem like I had, you know, a normal childhood or whatnot. Um, but, you know, they all talked about us because they tell me now. Like, when, when I go home, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, your father, he was weird. Yeah. Um, so I met my first victim, and um, I immediately fell in love and I was dating him behind uh, my family's back because I knew that if they found out that, um, that I would get beaten, and I did a couple of times, you know, because I got caught, sne- um, I think, skipping school and, and doing some other things. And so, you know, one of the only requirements that I had and the first, you know, kind of question, serious question that I asked him before things got serious was, I said, does your father beat your mother? That's all I wanted to know. Does he beat your mom? Because I, something in me told me that, you know, it's, you know, a hereditary thing, you know. And he was like, oh, heavens, no. You know, he, he's never laid a hand on her. I'm like, perfect. You're the guy for me. Yep. You know, mind you that I, I didn't realize that, you know, he was already drinking. I remember, you know, when I would sneak off with him, um, he always had... He was always chewing big red gum. He smoked cigarettes and just something in his mouth. I thought that was attractive. I thought that was sexy. Marble red, big red, and booze. Like, I was like, ooh, wow, mm hmm. Sign me up. <laughs> he uh, ended up telling me that he was in the country illegally. And so I thought, oh my, you know, what am I going to do? If, the, if you get deported, you know, I'll be left all alone. So I ended up um, secretly marrying him at, at the age of 18. I was still living at home. I hadn't graduated yet. So one day I just skipped school, and I took him to the uh, county courthouse, like uh, two towns down so nobody would know. And I married him. And I said, okay, great. You know, well, this, will, this will solve the problem. They can no longer deport you. Um, and I went home that evening. I went home, and I acted like nothing happened. I said, we'll figure all this other stuff out later on. Well... <laughs> What I didn't know was it's a process, this legalization thing. You know, you got to get a lawyer. There's a penalty that you have to pay for being in the country illegally. And, oh, mind you, he had been deported before, so now he's got to be a, has to have a pardon. And I'm like, oh, goodness, where am I going to find the time to do all this? We were married, um, and I really tried. I really... I really tried to make that perfect white picket house fence idea that I had. I had this idea that, that he was my knight in shining armor, that he was going to love me so much. I was going to be so happy. I wasn't going to be my mother. And, you know, things were just going to work out. Well, that's not what happened. He, um, you know, I believe he was at the time, is, I don't know, an alcoholic. I do know that he loved drinking. He loved it more than he loved me. And I had a problem with that. You know, I, all I wanted, all I thought I wanted was I thought I wanted somebody to love me, somebody to take care of me, somebody to protect me. And, you know, his drinking, it was, I, I competed. It was me or the booze. And I hated being second. You know, if you know anything about me, it's all about me, you know? Like, <laughs> 
I don't want to get lost in my spot, but, you know, one time I was trying to rescue my sister, and this is just how sick I am. I was, my sister had moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and she was in an abusive relationship, and I was, she didn't ask for my help. I just knew that she needed my help. And I took off from work. I lied, and I said, oh, I'm sick. You know, you know sweet little embellishment. And um, I took off to Jackson, which is like three hours from here, to go see what my sister needs, rescue her. I was actually going to pack her bags, pack her children, and bring her to my house, and we were going to live happily ever after. But my husband didn't know any of that. But anyways, I told Leanne, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. God's punishing me. It's storming and raining and lightning and thunder. I almost thought I wasn't going to be able to make it. And she's like, you know, Sandra, it's not always about all about you. You know, it could have been that it's just raining because we need the rain. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, that's harsh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's another one of my character defects. Um, so going back to my marriage, you know, uh, for six years... I tried. I really tried. Well, actually, for three. For three years, I tried. I really, really tried. I tried to be the good wife. I tried to, you know, um, do all the cooking, the cleaning, the managing, the supporting all his family back in Mexico. And I get, you know, uh, furniture and clothing from Goodwill, and they get everything new. I, I tried to please him in everything. And it just, I, I could never come close to friends, to booze, to going out on the weekends. And I just, you know, my, my extreme went from begging, crying, pleading to I became violent, you know. Um, I probably became my father, you know. I didn't want to be my mother that I became, you know, the aggressive person. And um, I'm, I'm thankful that my ex-husband was not really a violent person, he would kind of just pin me, hold me down, like he'd say, Sandra, just please stop. I'd be like, oh, no, uh-uh, come on, let's go, let's go at it, you know. I was, you know, even in my younger ages in high school, I would um, get suspended for fighting. I was just, I just had a lot of aggression, and I, a lot of aggression towards men. It really was, um, you know, I just like to go up and smack guys just because. <laughs> and um, so I tried everything. I wanted, you know, I just wanted you to love me, just stay here with me, be here with me. In 2003, I was 25 years old, and I'm just like, so I said I tried for three years. Well, the other three years, then I was like, well, I'm going to do what you're doing to show you how stupid you look or to make a fool of you. Like, I would go to the same bar that he was going with uh, and go with my girlfriends. I'd stand there drinking because I knew that he's Mexican, so he doesn't, you know, a woman should not be out, a woman should not drink, da-da-da. So I would stand there at the bar, and he'd come and snatch the beer and tell me to go home, and I'd make a big scene. One time, there was this guy I knew he didn't like, and so I asked the guy to escort me into the uh, club that we were at, and he came right on out, and, you know, they fought. My husband went, my ex-husband went to jail, and I go bailing him out because, you know, he's got to go to work on Monday. So it was just, just a lot of insanity, just craziness. I did whatever it could to, to get his attention. And, and I don't want to make light of um, suicidal ideation or anything like that. But, I mean, it got to the point where, you know, I would, you know, take pills and let them fall down my face just to be like, well, if you don't love me, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And it, it's, it's not a joke, but I just wanted you to love me. I wanted you to stay with me. 
So in 2003, I said, well, if you don't straighten up, if you don't stop drinking, I'm going to join the Army. I've talked to a recruiter, and they said that, you know, this is all I got to do. I just got to sign these uh, documents. And he laughed, and that made me even angrier, you know, because he was like, oh, well, you know, he would always tell me, you're crazy. You're crazy, you're crazy, you know, you can't do that or whatnot. And I remember talking to the recruiter, and the recruiter said, um, okay, so this is what you got to do. And I said, okay, so what are you going to do for me? He's like, well, we're going to give you a roof over your head, provide three meals, and you're going to travel the whole world. I was like, perfect, because I've never been anywhere. I've only been in Okeechobee. And I said, ooh, one little thing. There's a little problem. I have this luggage. I have this husband that I need to divorce so that I can go off and do these things. He was like, oh, don't worry about that. He's like, as a matter of fact, you'll get paid a little extra for having a husband. He's like, later on, you can divorce him. I was like, perfect. Extra money, travel, food. Like, what I know now is, because while I, while I was stationed here in Bowling Green, I was an Army recruiter. And, uh, yeah, homeboy lied to me. Like, so it came to the point where... Um, I told my husband the night prior, I said, listen, my recruiter's about to come pick me up. Please stay. If you don't, you know, if you don't leave, I promise. I said, I'll figure something out. Because back then, they would tell you, like, if you had done that recruiting process, you would go to jail if you did not ship. That is a doggone lie. You don't go to jail until you're on a bus going, you know, right, right before you go to basic training. That's the only time that, you know, we would call anybody to say that, you know, you're AWOL or whatnot. But I was so afraid, you know, my recruiter just needed numbers. I mean, I know it now. And so I told my ex-husband, I said, please don't leave, you know, and he kind of just laughed and just left. He said, you're not going anywhere. Nobody's going to want you. You have nowhere to go. So I remember the recruiter coming to the house about 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, honking, and, you know, my heart was crushed. I thought, this is it. We'll never see each other again. I'm going off, traveling the world, and to be something great, and, you know, we're done. It's over. I remember getting in the car and just tears streaming down my eyes because I was like, you know, I even left them, you know, back then you could uh, record CDs. You would listen to a song and press, like, buttons and record. So I made them this whole love song CD. I wonder if he still has it. I probably should ask. It was all these songs about, like, how I'm going to leave you and you're going to miss me for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. They were some good songs. But, ladies and gentlemen, I just, if there's anything that you take away from this is threatening your spouse that you're going to join the service will not get them to stop drinking. It, it doesn't work. Um, this coming March, um, I will have 20 years of um, active duty service. And so I think... I'm like, man, that's... Well, that's two good things because I have a son from that marriage. But, I mean, I just think, wow, that's a gift that my ex-husband gave me. Because if, if he wasn't a stupid drunk, you know, I wouldn't have ever joined the Army, you know. And so I'm, I'm planning on retiring next year, and I look forward to that retirement paycheck and traveling the world and attending uh, Al-Anon and open AA meetings everywhere. So, yay for me. Well, 
our story doesn't end there. I forgot to check my time. Okay. Two weeks into boot camp, I got really lonely. And I was like, oh, like, who do I call? So I called my ex. Yeah. I called him, and I told him I missed him. And I said, well, you know what? This Army thing, you know, we can do it together. And so at, um, later on, um, I got orders to go to Germany, and I kind of dragged him with me. I took him with me. I was like, this will fix us. I'm going to take him to Germany. Little small, a small town girl from Okeechobee had no idea what Oktoberfest was. Had no idea that Germany has some of the best booze. And here I am taking this, this alcoholic, this Spanish-speaking alcoholic, you know. So I take him with me. Uh, we, uh, he stays. He comes and goes because he tells me um, I'm not happy. And no matter what I did, I would buy booze because he, he was afraid he wasn't comfortable because he didn't speak the language, but he wanted to drink. And so the agreement was I'll buy you the booze and I'll bring it, and you can just drink it here at the house. And he, he was happy for a month or two, and he'd be like, uh, you need to buy me a plane ticket so I can go back. And we kind of did that for about a little over a year until I got pregnant. And I thought, hmm, this will solve us. He's always wanted a kid, and, you know, it ended up being a boy. And I said, this will definitely fix us. You know, this is, this is his son, you know. And um, it didn't. Obviously, I'm here. Things just got worse. And ultimately, my chain of command um, asked him to uh, leave the country and not come back. And, and I am so grateful for people who see signs. And there, it wasn't people from programs or anything like that. They just knew something was off in me. I had some postpartum depression. I had anxiety. I was, you know, I'm usually a very Somali person, laughing all the time. And things started to change when I had the baby because I felt overwhelmed. Um, it was like I was taking care of taking care of two little babies instead of just one. So um, they uh, command-sponsored him back to the state side, and that's kind of the, the end of our relationship. So a couple months later, I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. <laughs> and uh, Terry and I, we worked in the same unit. Um, he, uh, we like to tell people he was my drill sergeant, but he wasn't. <laughs> we just think, you know, we're embellishing just a little bit. It's interesting. <laughs> Things went really fast, and um, usually he'll share his story that, you know, on the second date I was moving in. That's not true. It's like the second week. (laughs) Plus or minus a couple of days. So early in the relationship, he's like, "Uh, Sandra, I have a secret to tell you. And I was like, oh, crap. Here it comes. You know, here's this great guy, handsome guy. Looks like he's got it all together. He's really nice. Um, I see him hugging men a lot. You know, anywhere he goes, hey, brother. You know, in my culture, we don't do that. Um, And I've never seen or heard him talk about a girl. I'm like, no way. He's going to tell me he's gay. (laughs) He didn't. He said, I'm an alcoholic. I was like, oh, cool. I like to drink, too. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I'm a sober alcoholic. And mind you, I, I knew alcohol. I didn't know alcoholic. I didn't know alcohol or alcoholism. I didn't know AA. Like, I mean, I, 
I knew what a drunk was because that's what my mom's whole family, that's what my father was. Like, you know, we used to joke because, you know, we would look outside our window on on Saturday and Sunday mornings and we'd be like, oh, is my mom would be like, oh, is your Uncle Benny outside? And we'd like, oh, yeah, he's holding a can of uh, Coors like at 8 o'clock in the morning. Like, I mean, that's they were drunks. They weren't alcoholics. We just called them dirty drunks. And um, so he tells me he's an alcoholic, and um, I think it's kind of cute. You know, he's like, would you like to uh, go to this meeting with me? And, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I just snagged this man. If I let him go alone anywhere, somebody else may try to snag him from me. So, like, I got to keep a close eye on him. So I'm like, sure, I'll come with you. So we go to my first open AA meeting in a basement in Germany. And um, I don't remember anything. I just thought it was really weird. And it got weirder as the night progressed. All of a sudden, they get in a circle, and they freaking hold hands, and they start saying a prayer that I didn't know, and I look around, because everybody had their eyes closed but me, and I'm looking around to my left and right, and I see that I'm the only colored person there, and I'm like, oh, crap, this is a cult, and I'm, I'm like, I'm the sacrificial lamb that's about to be slaughtered. I mean, I kid you not, I'm like, nobody knows I'm here in this basement, Like, I mean, he just, I mean, because I've watched those movies. I'm like, I know that stuff happens for real. So I end up getting orders to move to uh, Fort Hood, Texas, and he follows me. He followed me, and uh, we lived together, and we went to um, open AA meetings. Well, I went with him. My father-in-law used to say, Sandra, you know, you can't get into heaven riding your husband's coattails. I felt like I was getting into AA riding my husband's coattails because, you know, my story is that um, for, for three years I went to open AA meetings and I really loved them. I really, really, um, I felt like I fit in even though I'm not an alcoholic. I mean, I can drink a drink and put it down and leave it and have no problem with it, you know. Um, at one point I didn't drink for years and I'm okay with it. It doesn't bother me. So I go to these open eight meetings, and usually uh, they were at noon during lunchtime, and it was just good for me. And at one point in our stay in uh, Fort Hood, we get orders to deploy. I go to Afghanistan first, and then he leaves to Iraq several months later, and so there's a gap about 16 to 18 months that we weren't together. But prior to us leaving, you know, I got, you know, these open AA meetings that I really enjoyed. And they liked me. Um, anytime they had speaker meetings, um, it was always, there was food involved, and I was always, I always cooked. I'm a people pleaser, and, you know, I love to take food, and they'd be like, oh, your food is so great. And I'm like, mm-hmm, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. So they knew me. They loved me. At least I think they did. And um, I remember coming back, coming back from my deployment, and obviously Terry's still gone, and I remember work was just crazy, There was things going on, and I was stressed, overwhelmed, and I was just going to snap. And I thought, I need a meeting. I I, I need to get to a meeting. I didn't even think about checking to see what day it was, because mind you, open meetings were uh, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I think. And I get to the meeting, I sit down, and I'm like, And the, the uh, chairperson starts, uh, this is a closed meeting of Al-Anon, or of AA. We ask that, you know, if you don't have a problem with drinking, that, you know, you come back. And I'm like, oh, crap. It's Thursday. How did I get my days? But I'm like, 
I need this meeting so bad that I don't know what to do. Like, I knew that I needed to stay there because I was going to go crazy. And, but I knew that I wasn't an alcoholic. And so I stayed there, and they go around with their introductions. And mind you that whenever I would go with Terry, sometimes I would introduce myself because I was shy. And then sometimes I'd just be like, I'm Sandra. You know? And they never pressured me. You, know, you can go to open A meetings, and you don't have to say you're, you belong to a fellowship. It's open for a reason. So the meeting, they go with the introductions, and they get to me, and I'm like, oh, the dilemma, the dilemma. I don't want them to kick me out, so I just introduce myself. I say, hi, I'm Sandra, and I choose not to drink today. And, you know, nobody kicked me out. Nobody said anything. I was able to get what I needed, and I thought, and that was the first time I had ever gone to an open A meeting on my own, because I always went with him. Like, I never did anything on my own. And so I think back now, and I get to, um, we're going to be speaking, um, I think, oh, next year. I think we're going to go speak over there at that same home group. So I'm going to share that story. I think it's just, you know, I think it's a little comical that, you know, they would ask, ask me. I'm wondering if they want me to give my AA talk or my Allen on top. <laughs> Not really sure. So... Terry mentioned that, you know, when I told him about this little accident that I had about going to the wrong meeting, he's like, well, you know there's Al-Anon. You know, you should try Al-Anon. And, and I did try it. I tried um, going to a meeting, and it just wasn't for me. I just wasn't ready. In 2009, we moved to Maryland. Uh, Terry and I had gotten married. And, you know, I knew that when I married Terry that I hadn't been honest about everything. I knew that... Um, um, he was marrying somebody that he thought he knew, you know, this little girl, this young girl, this young lady that was going to him with AA meetings and, and just, you know, loved being a part of his life and just this fun person. Um, I hadn't really shown a lot of my craziness then. I kind of kept it tucked in till we got married. And uh, so something in me knew that I needed to tell him, like, what had happened to me what I had been through, what I had done to people. Because mind you, when I said that I had, was a good wife for six years and then I said, no, it was for three, well, the other three, you know, I was unfaithful to my ex-husband. I ran over, I, I, I wanted to, to get at him. But some of these things he never even found out. Obviously, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to tell you I'm sleeping around. Like, but I always wanted to get at him, to pay him back. And so I, through all that, I hurt a lot of people. You know, and so these are some of the things that I never told my husband, you know, because I'm a lady and I want him to stay with me or whatnot. And so early in, um, in our move to Maryland, my father uh, came to visit and something overcame me. And I think, you know, I have to give credit to you people in AA you people in AA gave me the courage, gave me the strength. You know, you, you, you did this for me because it's not, it wasn't me. What happened that day was I confronted my father. I, he was in my house. And I don't, I don't know what, how the conversation got started, but I just stood there and I said, I don't forgive you. I don't forgive you for what you did to me. And I want you out of my home. And I was 33 years old. 
And I had never disrespected my father like that. I had never spoken to him. It was always, yes, daddy, no, daddy. Even when I got married the first time and when they finally found out that, you know, I had gotten married at 18 or whatnot, I never even changed my last name because it would displease my father. Like, I was a people pleaser. I I wanted to please my father. I loved my father prior to the sexual abuse. I loved my daddy. I, I thought he was the most handsome man. I, I, I adored him. I had him up on a throne. And, you know, once the abuse started, it just, you know, I didn't know what to think. And so he ended up leaving, and I broke down. I, I got in my car, and I drove off, and I started having what I now know is an anxiety, a panic attack, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should chase after him and say, nope, I, forgive me, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what overcame me, like, like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, a little piece of me said to say to go do that, and then the other part said, no, you are fine. You are okay. This needed to be done. And so I remember pulling into a church parking lot and thinking, I got out of the car, and I just remember waving my arms, and I said, God, help me. And, you know, that feeling that a couple of us speakers were talking about, Terry and um, somebody else, they were talking about this feeling in their gut. Well, for me, I always felt like I had a chain around my waist and I was lugging, tugging at a ginormous rock. And to me, that represented just carrying the whole world, just dragging it with me, taking it with me wherever I went. And at the moment that I surrendered, and, and, and I didn't even know that I was surrendering, I just said, God, help me. It was like those chains were broken, and I know it probably sounds like that song, but it was like something came in me, calmed me down. I stopped having my panic attack. I stopped crying, and I was like, I took a breath, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And so I had been coming to AA meetings that I knew the next thing to do was to call somebody in AA. And I called a friend who um, at that time lived in, in, in D.C., and we lived in Maryland, and I said, Olivia, Please come help me. I can't do this, you know. And she came. She came to my rescue, and she said, oh, baby, and she sat with me until Terry could come home that night. And I am so grateful that you people keep coming back for, some, for people like me, you know. That's what this program gives us. We are, we are family. We are here for each other. So Terry comes home that night, and... Um, I had to tell him my secret that I had been carrying for 18 years. And I told you earlier that I had told someone, so that someone was my ex-husband. I told him early in our relationship. I said, um, I have to tell you something, but please promise not to tell anybody. And, you know, I, I, I trust you, and I, I just need to tell somebody. I said, my father has been sexually molesting me. And he looked at me. And he said, you disgust me. I can't believe you let him do that. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody what a dirty pig you are. And you would think that I would have ended it with him, but that's, he's all I had. And so I vowed from that moment to never tell anyone. It was never going to share that secret. It was bad enough that I, I had a lot of shame and guilt within me, why would I want everybody else to, to look at me in that way? And all I wanted from my ex-husband back then was, 
I just wanted him to tell me, it's going to be all right. I'm so sorry. And that's not what happened. But when Terry, Terry came home that night, and, and, and I had to tell him everything. I told him my past. You know, I told him all these things that I had done, and I told him what had been done to me. And we were, I didn't even let him come in. I just had to tell him. We were standing out in front of the door. And I figured, you know, that way, if he tells me to get out, I'm just, you know, it's easier for me to just kind of walk down the street than walk through the house or whatnot. And so I said, um, you know, I, I told him what had happened. He grabbed me. He hugged me. He held me tight. He cried with me. And he said, I am so sorry, Sandra. I am so sorry this happened to you. He didn't leave me. He stayed. He didn't kick me out. He didn't tell me, go leave with your son. You know, you disgust me or anything like that. He stayed with me. It was then that I knew that I had truly, finally met my knight in shining armor. I knew that this was the guy for me. You know, that he could love me through all this. So during our time in Maryland, uh, Terry uh, sponsors suggested that, you know, they tell me that I go find my own uh, program. And um, I was kind of, you know, a little bitter because, you know, I like AA meetings. I mean, I get to hear other people have problems and how they deal with them, and it's not my problem. I don't take your problems on, on me. So I decided that I would give Al-Anon another, another shot, and um, I found me a home group. I found me a sponsor. She was a great sponsor, Carol C., and uh, she uh, took me through the steps and she helped me to have this relationship with uh, my higher power, who I, whom I choose to call God, um, you know, because, you know, I, had done, I was done with God. I'm happy for you, but he don't exist for me, because if he did, he wouldn't have let all this stuff happen to me. And I realized that's not God. I also had trouble with people talking about fearing God, because I was like, I fear my father, but you're telling me this loving, forgiving God, I'm supposed to fear him? It doesn't make any sense. And what I now know um, is um, that my fear is not fear of God. It's reverence. You know, it's, it's, you know he is my daddy, and I don't want to disappoint him. So it's not a fear of, oh, I'm going you know, to get struck by lightning. It's just reverence to him. So we left, we left Maryland after... Three, four years. Somehow we stay in places three or four years, five if we're lucky, you know. But uh, we ended up leaving Maryland, and I remember in, uh, when uh, they had a, um, a, a going away party for us. And uh, we had a cake, and it was at the uh, Texas Roadhouse. They kind of sh- shut down the Roadhouse, and, you know, it was just a AA and Al Anon party. I thought that was like the greatest thing. And we had a cake, and it said, Goodbye, Terry, Sandra, and Alan, and you, you will be missed. And when I think back, to when we left um, Texas, when we left Fort Hood, and, you know, Terry had his, had his um, meeting, and I would just go. He had a going-away cake, and it said, goodbye, Terry, you'll be missed. And so I think that it's kind of cool to see um, that transition of when I started to have my program and I started to have my people. Like, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, also, another thing I want to share, and I know a speaker yesterday shared in regards to, you know, um, the, um, her children, her, her son, and just, you know, being angry, and then just the way you were talking to him and whatnot. And so for me, like, 
I knew that I didn't want to be my mother, but I kind of sometimes think that I started to be like my father. I was a little critical of my son. Um, at one point, funny story, um, he was two years old, and he was acting up, and I spanked him with a belt, and I felt rage in me. I felt, like, I felt like my father, to be honest with you, and it scared me. So I took him to a room, and I locked him in there, and he's, like, fighting, and I'm fighting to keep... And I didn't know what to do. I had uh, no program. I was going to the AA meetings, but Terry was deployed. I called the chaplain hotline, and I started talking to the chaplain and just crying and telling him where I was at for like 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, he's never really responded. He's never said anything. I'm like, he's just listening. He's a good listener. And what I realized is I, I didn't realize then, but the phone had gotten disconnected. Like, I was just talking to myself. I'm like, oh. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because with my son, um, I didn't think I needed Al-Anon. I really thought that I, I was okay, you know. And uh, I remember my son coming home from school one day, and he was tip, I was in the kitchen cooking, and he kind of was like tippy-toeing, and he kind of touches me on my, on, on my leg, and he's like, Hello, Mama. How are you doing today? And what I realized is that my son was kind of acting like me. He was, he was wanting, wondering how, I, how my day was going to know how his day was going to go. And that's when it hit me. That's when I knew I needed Al-Anon. If I have my nine-year-old son walking on eggshells, you know, I'm not right. So our third move, we moved to Kentucky in 2013 and um, blessed these ladies' hearts. I went to their meeting, and I sat in a corner, and I cried for six whole months. I just cried, and I told them how I missed my Maryland family, and it was never going to be the same, and, you know, that I, I didn't understand why God gave me a family and then took it away, and just, you know, and so they just loved me, and they told me, keep coming back keep coming back. And I did. And eventually I stopped crying and I started being a participant and I got me a sponsor. And Leanne was my sponsor, is my sponsor, because you can have more than one. I just need one that does a face-to-face with me. And so that's why I have a sponsor in Oklahoma as well. But I still call and check in with her. I still call my sponsor from, from Maryland. And what I knew about sponsorship was that I knew that I had heard in the meetings that you got to pick somebody who has what you, what, what you want. And so Leanne had what I wanted. You know, um, when she shared, you know, some of the stuff I could identify, you know, I, um, she had a, a great man by her side. And I wanted that. I wanted that relationship that they had. I used to tell Leanne when we would do our step work on Wednesday nights, um, I'd be at her house for a couple hours. And, um, you know, I would share, she shares with me. You know, it's kind of cool that it's not just me. She gets to share her experience, strength, and hope, and then I get to learn from it and apply that to, to, to my life. And I used to think, you know, Leanne, you remind me a lot like Terry. You're just calm, cool, you know, just. And I think I'm more like Bo. You know, we're like zero to 60 in five seconds, and we're just hyper and loud. And I'm like, I think I'm a Bo. 
And I used to think, man, bless her heart, she's got to put up with both of us. <laughs> One of my favorite stories um, that I shared at Bose Memorial and that I, I want to share with you all is that, um, and you get that with sponsors, you know, if, you, they, if, if they have a spouse, you, you get to have that relationship with them. And like Leanne said, we're not, it's not a sponsor sponsor, we're family. We've done life together and it's been great. And so Bo would uh, go to his Wednesday night meetings and from now, I think somebody shared at the memorial that, which I didn't know, that after the meeting he would kind of just drive around or speak to people to kind of kill time because I guess him and Leanne are communicating. She's probably saying, she's still here. You know? <laughs> we had a lot of cleaning up to do in my life. And um, finally, he would come home, and he would greet me with a big old great big bear hug. So if you know Bo Ward, you know that those hugs that he gave, and he always made you feel like you were the most important person. You know, he would hug me, kiss me, and then he would grab, rub his belly, because it was always full. You know, he was coming home from meeting, dinner, dessert, whatever, milkshake, and he'd be like, okay, darling, it's time for you to rub the lint out of my belly button. <laughs> You know, and I just thought, man, I'm so lucky. Well, I didn't know that he would tell others that they could rub the lint out of his belly button. You know, sometimes I would share with him some of the struggles that I had, and um, he would open up his big book, and he would just start reading. You know, I I know after we left Oklahoma, um, we were struggling with our son. You know, he's a teenager, and a lot of times... I don't like to follow guidance or direction from my husband. I need it from another man. And Bo was that man. You know, I, uh, I, we called him and we told him about our issues that we were having with our son. And, 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 and Bo said, darling, sweetie, he's just a boy. <laughs> like, boys are going to do what boys do. And, you know, when Bo said that, it made sense. But when Terry would say that, I would just go in a rage. Like, you don't love your son. What are you talking about? You're, you know, you're just like your father and your mother. You know. But when Bo gave me his guidance and words of wisdom, I listened. You know, just as when Leanne has given me her guidance and words of wisdom. And her facial expressions do say it all. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful for an honest sponsor. I'm grateful for sponsors who sometimes I call them and I start telling them my problem and then I start giving them my answer too and they're just like, okay, okay. Sounds like you got it, you figured out. So Al-Anon here in Kentucky was great. It was amazing. You know, I felt like um, I, I had found... My new family, you know, Maryland was good, but Kentucky was great. I didn't want to leave, but I know because of military obligation, we end up eventually having to say our goodbyes, and it was hard. It was really hard. My husband jokes that when we were at Leanne's house to say bye, or I think we could come back to visit, like we said goodbye like six times. Like, I would take a step, and I would turn around and hug her and take another step and, and turn around and hug her. And, and him and Terry and Bo would, like, 
are they ever, I mean, they're going to see each other in two months. Y'all are coming for Christmas, aren't y'all? You know, we did life together. You know, my sponsor and her husband, they were with us through hard times, like Terry said, and good times. I ended up uh, going to school, and I ended up getting a bachelor's degree, and they did a road trip with us to Orange Beach, um, Orange Beach, Alabama, to come see me graduate. And that meant so much to me. In my household, we were, I was never, I never dreamed. I never, the only thing that was said to me was, try to graduate without getting pregnant. So there was no, no dreams, no aspirations. So I never had any goals in life. And it, you know, and I would share in Al-Anon early on that in Maryland, I always said, I always wanted to ice skate. When I was a little girl, I would watch people ice skate. So my sponsor said, well, why don't you do that? And I'm like, well, because I don't know how. And she's like, well, learn. And so we went to an indoor ice skating ring, and I learned. I mean, I learned with a little roller thingy, but I still learned, and I did it. I mean, at one, po- at one point, there was like a little pose, and then I'm like, you know. But Alamon taught me that, you know, that I, I can do the things that I want to do that I don't, I don't need anybody's permission, and I can live for myself. But back when I was sick, I couldn't because I was worried about everybody else. I had no time for me. You know, so now all of a sudden my sponsors are telling me, no, nope, that's not your business. It's not in your hula hoop. Did they ask for help? And I'm like, ugh. And when I answered all these questions, it was no, no, no. So what that meant was, well, Sandra, you have time to tend to you. And so in the program of Al-Anon, I have done so much, so much fun stuff. Like I floated down a river. That was a little scary, you know, because I mean, every single time we go, somebody almost gets killed, but we keep going. (laughs) I want to share before I move on to my next state. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for Bo and Leanne and Mama Patty, just her whole family. They just kind of, you know, the holidays, they would do them at their house, maybe with their family. And most of the times we were included, but if we weren't, then they would come to our house and celebrate with us, like late in the evening. I remember that one time we had, a, we had cooked three turkeys because I'm... I'm a control freak, and I wanted to cook my turkey, and Terry wanted to cook a turkey, and then we had another turkey that we were going to put on the smoker, and we forgot all about the stupid turkey because we only concentrated on the two that were indoors, and when Bobo and Leanne came, we were able to offer them a turkey a la carbone. <laughs> but, you know, to the other men and women in the program, um, back in 2016 oh or 17. I got some orders to, um, they call it a deployment. I don't really call it a deployment, but uh, orders to go to Kuwait for a year. So that meant that I was going to have to leave my family behind. And, you know, the care. You know, I, not one day did I worry while I was overseas if my family, you know, was taken care of. And mind you that my husband is self-sufficient. But still, 
He had friends and family that surrounded him throughout the year, surrounded my son, supported them, you know, go to life events. They would go to Leanne and Bobo's house um, for dinner on Tuesdays, I believe, you know. Um, That's what you do. You show up and you show out. I was uh, getting ready to go to Kuwait. I think I left November 7th and in October... Terry and I decided that we needed to attend a marriage workshop, you know, because we're going to be separated for a year, so we want to make sure that we're good. We need to, you know, make sure that we're good with the separation. So we go to the workshop, and we come back. It's like a Sunday evening. We're driving down, the, down our street, and I look, and some dummy has christmas lights out like a big old snowman with snow and and just uh, christmas in october it wasn't even halloween yet they had christmas in october and i remember looking at terry and i'm like these people are just ridiculous it's getting worse and worse every year i'm like what a bunch of dummies he then turns into our driveway and it's my house I was like, what in the world? I get out, and it still hasn't hit me. I walk in my door, and my whole house is decorated. I mean, they got everything from my attic, and plus some. And they they decorated the whole house, because they knew I was not going to be home for Christmas. And they wanted to make sure that I celebrated Christmas with my son and my husband before I left. That's what you do. Bobo made me a big pot of gumbo. You know, Bobo and I had this thing, you know, of who could cook better. We always shared recipes. So our fourth move was to Oklahoma. We moved to Oklahoma in 2017, and Terry and his story, he'll sometimes share that he never wanted to move back to Oklahoma. Oklahoma was not anywhere that he wanted to go near. We, um, we... Good thing he married a caretaker because um, his father, uh, while I was in Kuwait, ended up having a stroke, and I could see the writing on the wall, even though I really didn't want to because I really loved my father-in-law. But I knew that I wanted to be in Oklahoma to help take care of them. I didn't see him passing because I wasn't ready for that. But I wanted to be there to help take care of him and mom. And... uh, we ended up getting orders. I spoke to Terry, and he was like, oh, I don't know about it, you know. And I'm like, no, I do know. I, this is where we need to be. And I think I owe that to Al-Anon because I love taking care of people. So we, we arrive, and um, I look, I, the first thing I do is I look for a home group because that's what you all have taught me. You know, anywhere I go, I need to start finding a home group. So there's one in, the, in, in Fort Hood. It's Lawton, the city of Lawton. And so I go there, and I just don't feel it. It's not Bowling Green. They're not doing it right. You know, but I had learned enough in the program that I didn't cry. I didn't sit there and just boo-hoo, you know. I sat there, I read, I participated, but I just didn't feel it. And I want to say that, you know, that it's okay. Not every meeting is for you. It's okay. That's why we have different meetings. And so I had to do what was best for me. Well, I 
the best thing for me to do was I had to call my Kentucky sponsor and tell her that this meeting is just not going to work and I may end up quitting Al-Anon. And she was like, well, go back to the meeting next week and just call me. And I'm like, gosh, she wants me to stick with the stupid meeting. I don't even like it, you know. And every week I'd do that. For about a month I did it. And my tipping point was um, one day there was a sweet lady, very sweet. She reminded me of Leanne, blonde hair. She wore a black leather jacket. And she just looked really sweet. And she shared beautifully. She read beautifully. I'm like, she's going to be my sponsor. And it got to the point where it was like my third or fourth week. And she came up to me. And it was like I was thinking about her being my sponsor. And she said, oh, hi, sweetie. How are you? What's your name? Are you new? And I thought, well, doggone it. I've been sitting right beside you. Like, okay, I'm in uniform today because I didn't get a chance to go home and change, but I don't look very different. I'm like the only brown-skinned person in here. How do you not remember me? Because remember, it's all about me. (laughs) So I called Leanne. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. They don't even remember me. I've been coming for a whole month. I'm like, I'm not sitting in a corner all quiet. I'm sharing. I say my name. So what I didn't know, and I found out a couple weeks later, is that, you know, hmm, either God or my sponsor will always put me in my place. And at this point, it was God. He's got a sense of humor. Um, I had an AA member say, oh, did you meet so-and-so? Have you met so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah. I said, weird thing. I'm like, she's come up to me like three or four times and keeps asking me if I'm a newcomer and doesn't remember me. And she's like, oh, sweetie, they didn't tell you. She's got early onset Alzheimer's. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Here I thought that, you know, she just didn't remember me. And, you know, I, I felt stupid. I really did. I was like, oh, I had no idea. Because, I mean, when she shared it, you know, you, I couldn't tell her anything. And, you know, five years later now, um, you know, she's um, very limited to the meetings that she goes to, and her husband kind of has to escort her and all that. But I hear that she was just this awesome, amazing lady in the fellowship. And so I hate that, you know, she's going through that. But um, it's just a way that God continues to prove that, no, Sandra, it's not all about you. So I go back to what I know, and what I know is... Um, open AA meetings, and so Terry tells me that there's an open AA meeting in the town that we live in, which is like three minutes from where we live, and I, and I um, start going with him, and when I go there, I meet another lady who's in Al-Anon, and she's just going with her husband, so one of the days, we just kind of looked at each other from across the table, and we're like, we're like, why don't we just go to the other room, so we went to the other room, and we had an Al-Anon meeting, and from that Al-Anon meeting, um, she, her home group was Duncan, and so we kind of discussed, well, why don't we have an Al-Anon meeting in Elgin? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't even know how to start one. Good God, I'm, I'm a baby in the program with nine, ten years in. <laughs> and uh, so she invited uh, Cindy and Mabel from Duncan, from her home group, and she said, well, Sandra and I are thinking about having a meeting, and we would like you to come visit us and maybe try to help us. And so they came. And they kind of spoke life into us and told us that we're capable of doing it and kind of assisted us with the process. And I want to say that the 1st of October, 
Our Elgin Al-Anon group will celebrate four years. It's exciting, I know. Um, in the past four years, we started with two, uh, media, two members, and we've grown to up to seven and eight. It's really cool, you know. And so we always like to say that Duncan and Al-Anon were kind of like a dual group. I don't know if that really, if that's, there's a term for it or whatnot. But Duncan supports us. We support Duncan. And in turn, you know that one group that I said I didn't like when I first got to Lawton? We support them. Yeah. They have birthday nights, and they do events, and when they have them, we show up in force. Yeah, I'm like, hey, you're going to love me. We're going to come until you really, really love us. <laughs> you know, I want to share that, you know, I've taken baby steps as I've progressed in my uh, program. You know, I started with being a meeting attender, and then uh, when I was in Oklahoma, I attended conferences, you know, dabbed a little with the conferences, um, service work. Nope, not happening. I don't have time. I'm a busy person. Like, don't you know? And so I just never, you know, I never wanted to do it. I never knew that I would get so much more in return. And so something changed when I moved to Oklahoma. You know, I got plugged in with these pioneers over here, and they love service work. They're everywhere. Even when they don't have a service commitment, they are there. And I'm like, why do y'all go? And they just love it. Everybody knows them. And so I want everybody to know me, so I tag along with them. Because it's about me. You know, I've also um, had the privilege, you know, and I don't believe that service work is just doing things like this. You know, it's from cleaning the tables, making the coffee, you know, it can be anything. And so one of my uh, service jobs that I considered it to be a job, but it's a, it's a pleasure and it's a privilege, is that we have a new member. She actually celebrated three years, but she's an older lady in her 70s, and um, her husband was in AA for 18 years. She never went to Al-Anon meetings. She would come to Terry's barbecue and bring pickles and just be like, hmm. I never talked to her about Al-Anon because I just knew it was in her face. Like, don't talk to me about Al-Anon. <laughs> she started coming to the meetings. I'm like, oh. And then I always throw in a plug like, hey, on Mondays I go to Duncan. If anybody ever wants to, if ever, anybody ever wants to take a, a, a drive with me, I'll take you. And so Carol said, I would like to ride with you. And so I get the pleasure of picking Carol up on Fridays and um, taking her to the Duncan meeting. And throughout the three years, I watched her grow. It's pretty cool. Now I see what my sponsors see, you know. Um, it's so cool to watch her from this little tiny, you know. And the first week she was like, oh, can you tell me about uh, this literature, these books? And I was like, oh, she's going to stay. Then the next week it was, oh, can you tell me about sponsorship? Oh, you know, and so she's got a sponsor. She's working the steps, and she's just been, um, it's just been a joy to watch her in her program. She's also a person that if you come to our meetings more than once and you stop coming, she will call you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I'm close to um, being short on time. I just wanted to say that, you know, I hope that you heard in my message um, the message of love, the message of hope that you people give me. Um, you know, blood family isn't, you know, family isn't the blood family. 
You know, it's not my family. Um, out of all my siblings, I only speak to two, two of the nine. I can't have a relationship with them. It's not healthy for me to have a relationship with the rest of my family. I also want to share real quickly that um, my mother, um, I, I continue to work on amends with her and just making things right. I love my mother, and I have a great relationship with my mother. It's just amazing that this program has given me, a, given me back the ability to have that relationship with my mother. I, I, she's a strong woman, and she loves me the best the way that she knows how. Um, my father, I do not have a relationship with him. I have forgiven him. But um, I, I choose not to. And, and, and that's okay for me. You know, the family, the, the, the friendships that I have gained in this program are just, I mean, it's a gift. It's a gift that I could have limited myself. I could have just continued to go to open eight meetings and ride my husband's coattails. Instead, I decided to join you all and allow you to love me until I could love myself. And what I found is that my head can, will only limit the people that can love me, but God will allow me to expand that, and I have people all over the world that are in this fellowship that love me, and my family just continues to grow and grow and get bigger. And for that, I am eternally grateful. You are my family. And I love each and every single one of you. Thanks for letting me share.